Everybody, welcome back to a priest and a rabbi podcast. This is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church in uh, sunny Stewart, Florida, and uh, always with me. Well, not always, but most of the time is uh, Rabbi Durbin from Temple Beth Hayam. Uh, he is my compadre in this work. He is my better half in our bromance that we have here on this podcast. Hey, buddy, you ready for another episode? I am. I'm. Uh, I'm excited about this one. I think it'll be uh, quite engaging and quite informative. I'm. I'm real excited. Yeah, we're taking on a topic that we really will be leaning on our guest because uh, it, it is it's a very important topic. It's a God topic, um, and, and it's one that we want to learn how how do you take it on? It's reparations. And so uh, it's been talked about a lot, but we want to talk, look through a Judeo-Christian lens. So we are going to bring on uh, Dr. Joseph Thompson from Virginia Theological Seminary. That seminary has a history of using slave labor uh, to build a faith-based institution. So how do they take on this journey? Where is God calling them of how do you do this work of reparations. What does that look like? Would you just give out checks? How do you find the families? It's a lot of work and a lot of logistics, but it's also sacred and delicate work and very relational work. Um, so we're going to bring on Dr. Joe. Oh, wait a minute. He just flew in. Dr. Joe, are you here? I am here. I had to unmute myself <laughs> and See, get off yeah. the plane. <laughs> when you go through security off of Zoom Airlines, they ask you to unmute. So, so we got you here. But so, my friends, please, um, if you haven't yet, subscribe to this podcast and share it with others who enjoy uh, listening to uh, this goofy priest and this incredible rabbi uh, talk about uh, um, things of uh, current hot topics, but always through a Judeo-Christian lens. Um, and uh, share it away. But today, let's get ready to talk about reparations and where we find God in all of this right here on A Priest and a Rabbi. A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi! The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over-allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Beit Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a rabbi. Good morning, Stuart, Florida, and everywhere else across the United States of America. What am I kidding? This radio show only goes about three counties deep. However, we do have a podcast that goes across the world, 54 countries deep. If you didn't know this, we are huge in Yemen. Rabbi Durbin and I cannot walk the streets of Yemen without people tackling us and wanting his autograph, not mine. Um, my name is Father Christian here at St. Mary's Episcopal Church in sunny Stewart, Florida. Uh, next to me is the ever da uh, handsome, dapper, and much wiser uh, Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Hayam. And today on this show, we're talking about the very famous topic that we're talking about every single day here in Stewart, Florida, reparations. That's not true. We don't talk about it, but, but we're going to talk about it on this show today because uh, it is, uh, we're going to talk about it. It's biblical. It's rich. Our tradition calls us to do it. Our uh, faiths call us and we're going to parse it out. Um, so if it is a, a topic that is uh, brings tension or uh, a disease, I would say stick around. Let's, let's have a talk because um, we're bringing on an incredible guest who is in the midst of a process of reparations at a seminary. 
um, for a seminary that used uh, slave labor uh, to build a campus that was there to praise God and to raise up uh, leaders of, and followers of Jesus Christ. Um, and so how does that all work out? Um, so as people of faith, how do we continue uh, to deal with the original sin of America and find ways to find redemption and healing and to move forward, but also basic compensation for, for, for labor that wasn't paid for. Uh, but we'll be doing that, of course, through the lens of, uh, of the Judeo-Christian lens. That's, how, that's what we do here. Um, our number is uh, 772-220-9788. Uh, Evan, our wonderful producer, will uh, pick up the phone and he will hug you through the phone and then direct you onto this uh, radio program. So before we we invite our incredible guest, Dr. Uh, Joseph Thompson, onto the station, he is still uh, deplaning from Zoom Airlines. Uh, I, I want to check in with my rabbi, Rabbi Durbin. You've had a busy week. You have been blowing the minds of everyone at St. Mary's Episcopal Church. You've done three weeks of a lunch and learn. It grew every single time. Um, you can't walk on a St. Mary's campus without people stopping you in the parking lot to talk about everything. H how are you feeling, buddy? I feel great. I mean, uh, look, uh, my heart goes out to St. Mary's. Uh, I appreciate the very warm welcome, uh, both from, you know, the perspective of, of, of being with you guys over the last couple of weeks and, you know, for members of my community to come and share, uh, to, to, to share interfaith together. It was great. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. One of the highlights that if, and we, we live streamed it this last time, so you can go into St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Stewart, Florida's uh, Facebook page uh, and YouTube page. We had uh, Rabbi Durbin had the courage and to, and the, and the, and the trust in a Christian community that we presented him with parables, uh, some of Jesus's famous parables and said, give us the Jewish context. Give us the Jewish response to this. What's your take on the good Samaritan? What's your take on the parable of the talents? What's your take on um, the prodigal son? And that was great. And, and that was wonderful for us all to share in this and to study, study the word together. Uh, but most importantly, we formed a really good relationship. Uh, we talked about some, some heavier topics as well. We talked about anti-Semitism. Why now? Why, why, why is it the biggest act of, uh, of, of hate crime in America at this point? Um, and um, so it was good. We planted good seeds. And that's what this radio show is all about, too. Uh, planting seeds um, for us to, to really appreciate and love our differences and, most importantly, our similarities um, and learn more about God through each other. And I, and I love the fact that I think you were about to say what were some of the highlights uh, over the last three weeks. Um, for me, look, the biggest highlight for all three weeks was just seeing your community, members of my community, be engaged. Um, that, you know, this is a lunchtime opportunity that so many came just to be able to, you know, to learn and to study and to be amongst everyone's presence. It was, that was, that was my big takeaway. Yeah, sitting, seeing Jews and Gentiles sit at the same table. And because before it was just a bunch of Gentiles listening to their rabbi, to you. Right. And then and then but then as it grew each week, then more people from Temple Beth Hayam came and they were sitting at tables together and uh, talking about faith and listening to you. You were the rabbi. It was so good. Um, and, and one thing I remember is that there was a couple of people who said, I'm going back to Temple. I want to get more invested in my temple. So, look, they came to St. Mary's Episcopal Church and renewed their love with the temple. Many of our evangelical friends would say we we only did half the job. They should have accepted Jesus, but um, <laughs> that that that's not that wasn't that wasn't our objective there. Um, all right, don't buddy. know if that's in the cards right now. Yeah, yeah, but if you want to talk about that, buddy, I'm here for you. Mm. Crickets, we'll, we'll, we'll crickets. 
Okay. All right. So let's get on to the, 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 the important topic of today, which is uh, reparations. Um, reparations has been talked about, uh, obviously, from our uh, federal government has talked about this. What does it look like? How do you deal um, with just the horrors uh, and, uh, of, of, of slavery? But there's some basic things that uh, uh, there was free labor <laughs> that built this country's economy that was never compensated for. And as the Protestant work ethic of America is you pick yourself up at your bootstraps, you work hard and you get compensated for the hard work you do. Well, a huge part of our workforce was never compensated for. Uh, and and then I'm not even getting to beyond the Jim Crow, just as, as the free people brought over enslaved and then not compensated for. That doesn't fit the just the American ethic that you are compensated for the work that you do. Uh, that doesn't fit. We're going to talk about the Christian ethic, and I'm sure you're going to probably say the Jewish ethic. Um, the Hebrew scriptures have a lot to say about this, uh, and then also us dealing with just the horrible sin of, of of slavery in itself, which Hebrew scripture and Christian scripture has a lot to say about that. Um, I think we also need to define what the word reparation means, because mm. I think in some contexts we're talking you know, financial compensation that is given for work or services that are being done. But on the other side, I think it's it's reparations are given for anyone or any institution or any any feeling where one has been wronged in some way, if that makes sense. I think we need to kind of parse through that word reparation. Well, so so let's let's bring on someone who's a lot smarter than us, at least a lot smarter than me. Um, and we're going to bring on Dr. Joseph Thompson. Now, if we want to get he is the Reverend uh, Dr. Joseph Thompson, or the Reverend Joseph Thompson, PhD, which is nice because, you know, a lot of us priests get that demon thing, and that doesn't really, you know, it's just like, whatever. Uh, the PhD is really the real, the real degree, right? Um, so, so he's got a PhD uh, from Yale, and, and, and he has, uh, he's helping direct um, this work at VTS. Um, and so let, Dr. Joseph Thompson is the director of multicultural ministries and the assistant professor of race and Eth ethnicity studies at Virginia Theological Seminary. Um, and we are just honored to have him here to help us understand and to learn more about what the great work that Virginia Theological Seminary is doing. Dr. Joseph Thompson, welcome to A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you. Good morning and welcome. I, well, thank you for the welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. And one thing I noticed that you didn't mention, Father Christian, is that you were uh, alumnus of uh, Virginia Theological Seminary. This is, this did is you true. mention it? I missed it. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm a proud, <laughs> a proud alumnus. And I was your employee at the library. So I didn't work directly underneath you, but but I was I was just one of the plebeians who you know showed up to collect my five dollars an hour. So <laughs> more How fitting is that term when you call it plebeians when you're in your own play down in Jupiter for Shakespeare, <laughs> which is also this weekend? Yes, yes, yes. More of that later. So less of me, more of Joe right now. Uh, but but nice, nice pitch. I like that. Um, but uh, all right. So Dr. So Dr. Joe, uh, we, we both are, are uh, alums of, uh, of Virginia Theological Seminary. Um, but but tell us about uh, your position and your focus uh, just on uh, over at, at VTS right now. Sure. So as you as you mentioned, um, in addition to being on the faculty, I'm the director of Multicultural Ministries, and that's an office that does a bunch of different things, um, including 
work on intercultural competency training for our incoming students and uh, staff members uh, and anti-racism training for them. But uh, we also are the office that um, runs the reparations program that the seminary decided to undertake in September, well, it announced in September of 2019, uh, and that we've been working on ever since. So uh, that, at this point, takes up a lot of our energy in the Office of Multicultural Ministries, uh, and it's worth every moment that we uh, give to it. Amen. When, so, when you say, Dr. Thompson, when you say that, um, you know, that this endeavor was taken in 2019, how long before 2019, in terms of planting the seed to be able to start the work itself on the ground, how long did that, how did that come about? Yeah, so I, I would say um, there are a bunch of different sort of streams that contribute to what got us to the decision to do reparations. Um, one of those is that uh, Episcopalians uh, of African descent have been a part of the church you know, from the very beginning, going back to the earliest days of the church, and have always been there trying to get the church to live up to its own creed in terms of how it treated um, this predominantly white church treats uh, its uh, members of, of African descent and more broadly uh, members of color. So they have been, you know, advocating not necessarily for reparations, but they've been there uh, as a voice for people of African descent in the Episcopal Church for uh, for centuries, really. Um, so that's, you know, they helped to set a certain climate. But um, going back to the early 2000s, the General Convention of the Episcopal Church uh, passed some resolutions uh, that, well, one resolution in particular, um, that encouraged Episcopal churches to do research on their history with slavery and, uh, you know, segregation and other forms of racism to begin thinking about, well, what happened and what, you know, as churches should be done about that. And as a response to that, um, our dean and president uh, did issue an apology from Virginia Theological Seminary uh, for its participation in slavery and in Jim Crow segregation. That was in about 2007 um, or so. Um, and he also commissioned a book to be written about the history of Blacks at VTS, uh, which came out in 2009. It's called No Turning Back, and it's by the Reverend Joseph Constant, one of my predecessors in the Office of Multicultural Ministries. So those are some of the, some of the ways that, broadly speaking, the seminary was getting people to think about how the church and how the seminary in particular had treated Black people over the decades and centuries, raising awareness and getting people to understand that something would probably need to be uh, done about that. Then just to fast forward, um, I think because of the way that the conversation about reparations began to be more part of the mainstream, uh, let's say maybe like five or six years ago, and I'm, I'm, I'll put mainstream you know, in quotes, but, and I say that because Black organizations have been many, there are several Black organizations that have been working on reparations for much, much longer than that. Uh, one of which I think of is uh, NCOBR, the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. Um, and, and, you know, there are others, but that's the one that, you know, just comes to mind right now. Um, so they had done a lot of work, you know, uh, there were Congress 
people who were doing a lot of work to bring it before Congress, but slowly it started to gain more traction. And I think that's when um, our leadership began to think, you know, maybe it's time for Virginia Theological Seminary to do some actual reparations work, given that we know what we know about this history, we've done some research into that, and we think it's time for us to go deeper and to maybe really try to make amends um, in some other ways for those sins. Can you, can so just for, for us all and then for the listener, what is that history? Why is it necessary for, uh, why did uh, Dr. Ian Markham, the dean, say, we need to do this? Can you tell us a little bit more? I, I, I referenced it briefly, but just the history of Virginia Theological Seminary and uh, slavery. Sure. Um, so as you said, uh, the seminary was uh, dependent on the labor of enslaved persons. Uh, you know, it, it was founded in 1823. Um, and in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, kind of kind of on the outskirts of, of Alexandria, Virginia, which at that time was still as many cities, you know, there are many parts of many cities today that were once, you know, pastures and fields. And, uh, you know, VTS is located in a place that would, by today's standards, probably have seemed quite rural. And so, you know, they needed people to, A, build buildings, they needed people to farmland, they needed people to wash clothes and do all the, the things that human beings and human communities need. And they relied uh, heavily on enslaved labor to do that. <clears throat> they received that labor uh, through multiple ways. M many of the faculty members owned slaves themselves or potentially their, their uh, wives owned slaves. Um, and they might, even though they might have uh, enslaved persons somewhere else on, you know, a home plantation or whatever, they might bring them to the campus and utilize their services on the campus. Um, in some instances, the seminary would uh, rent out, uh, they, they, would, they would hire contractors to help them um, build buildings, but those contractors would have enslaved persons working in their workforce. Um, we think that's one of the things that happened in the building of our iconic administrative uh, uh, hall, um, Aspenwall, Aspenwall Hall. So, um, you know, there were any number of ways that uh, enslaved persons were building the foundation of the institution and then helping to maintain it. Um, and then, of course, after slavery, uh, in the period of uh, legal segregation, known as uh, Jim Crow, African-Americans formed a big part of the workforce. And there was a whole community of Black folks who were right, who lived right around the seminary um, and who still, if your aunt, their descendants still live you know, near the seminary, who were supporting the seminary with the work that they were doing. Um, but they were in a system, an economic system, where their options were, were probably pretty limited because only certain kinds of jobs tend to be available to, um, to Black people under, you know, that segregational uh, scheme. So um, that's how, you know, the, the labor of African-Americans is associated with the history of the seminary. So, thank you, Dr. Joe. Is, is there, has there been, before we get into now, just the logistical aspect of how do you begin to, with the process you all have done, which is, I'm really um, intrigued to learn how VTS has taken this on, because there's been different templates for this. Um, and I've read in one article that you all are one of the first to do cash um, offerings. But before we get there, 
there is an emotional aspect and a deeply uh, a mourning, a grieving aspect of this, where here we have a, a faith-based institution um, that is lifting up leaders to be uh, servant leaders of the church, to be following Jesus Christ, to be following a faith um, that is a Judeo-Christian faith. God has a lot to say about um enslaved people has a lot to say to to his to his folks about um uh, you were once enslaved and you'll never enslave others and I, I, the righteousness comes in we're like i can't believe these people did this they're such hypocrites you know but but the 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 really tragic or uh, worrisome thing is how powerful culture can be because who am i to say if i wasn't living in that culture if i wasn't if i wouldn't have been influenced by rome and so i'm like well that's just how culture is. And this is, you know, we, we parse off this. Well, it was just context. We just need to accept it. That's how they were back then. But yeah, but the, the, the Bible is the Bible and the Bible never says it, it, it's okay. The, the arguments to say it's okay are to me seem pretty flimsy. So has there been an emotional part of it of like, how do we just deal with like, my gosh, there, there's kind of blood on our hands here. And how do we deal with that mourning that our institution supported this? And it could have been me. If, if I grew up then who, I don't know if I would have been conscious enough and so committed to Jesus to be like, to push back in the institution and say, this is wrong. We'd all like to think that we would have been us white folk would have been like, no, this is wrong. But apparently a lot of people didn't. So who am I to think that I would have been so conscious? So has that been, has that been a part besides just the circumstantial logistical part of this, which I know you're a big piece of, but has there been an emotional grieving part that comes with this? I think so. I mean, for me, as an African-American person, um, in some ways, I'm less attuned to that. But... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> but no, but I mean, I'm a part but of Have you witnessed this, you know? I'm part of a predominantly white community. So I just, I, I, but I just want to say, you know, for truth in advertising and for people who can't see me and haven't figured out that I'm, I'm Black, I mean, uh, you know, um, I'm not speaking from personal experience. Right. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I think I think that's um, I think that's the case. I think that it, it it certainly it certainly brings up a lot of emotions for people in a number of different ways. Um, <clears throat> I think the question of uh, you know the the irony of this being a religious institution that was there to uh, train people for ministry, participating in this uh, system is something that people do wrestle with and, um, you know, try to both have some appropriate sense of, uh, you know, indignation, righteous indignation that this happened, but also, as you say, understand that people um, are sometimes kind of, you know, trapped by their circumstances um, and their their thinking and their their spirituality is kind of in some ways trapped by their circumstance circumstances. Um, so I think that's true. I think that a lot of people have wrestled with that. Um, what I would say is, you know, um, it's important to to understand <clears throat> that the past is prologue, <clears throat> and so these are not things that just happened and they ended and they're over, but they have an effect on all of the subsequent generations that mm. follow. And so it's important now to think about, even though I, even though I understand people wanting to go back and put themselves in, in those shoes and trying to have some historical imagination, I, and I don't, I don't have a problem with that, but it's also important to think about, okay, but what are we going to do now yeah. 
as institutions, as governments or what have you, um, given the fact that those decisions and those actions continue to have an effect and continue in the present to have an effect. You know, it's interesting when we when we when we look at this at this um, process of reparations, where I think, I mean, at least for me, you know, it's not something that in the 21st century that um, is new. I mean, we, we we at least from a Jewish context, we've had Holocaust reparations from the German state and from the uh, from Germany itself uh, created a long time ago. Um, but I also wonder how much too of it is, um, and I mean, I, I know I'm saying the obvious, but is personal. Is it's not the money. It's the recognition, it's the acknowledgement that there have been wrongs that have been done in the past that we're trying to rectify and make better so that, God forbid, that this never happen again, that we that we we take a stand and ultimately acknowledge and and, and, and in some way validate the experiences for those who went through it um, or still going through it, um, or even the families of long yesteryear of being able to say, I acknowledge your pain. I acknowledge the 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 challenges and the the uh, just the craziness of what had happened to be able to to validate to to be able to to have them have an acknowledgement. I think it's so important. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And in fact, we say that you know the relationship building part of this is is one of the, or is perhaps the most important uh, part uh, that we're doing. Um, because for one thing, at the end of the day, the amount of money that's being put to it at this moment is relatively small. Um, I would like to see it you know, grow, but um, it is what it is. And, and you, can't, you can't put a price tag on what people went through to begin with. Um, but to, as you say, acknowledge, to um, make the apology as our dean and president, who still is the same person who was the president who made that apology, who's still um, leading our institution today, um, to know that the, the organization wants to try and do something about this and, and build, uh, or to, yeah, to build relationships that, you know, aren't, in some ways not even broken they just didn't really exist um and so we've noticed in fact that many of the families when we reach out to them to them that's one of the things that they they do speak about very powerfully is the the acknowledgement from the seminary mm -hmm. um and you know and people families have many different reactions to it some of them react uh you know and say it's too little too late um with which you know, I can I can totally empathize with that perspective. Um, but many of them say, you know, I don't really the money I don't really care about so much, but I do appreciate the effort. I appreciate reaching out. I appreciate the um, desire to tell the fuller story. And by the way, I mentioned the, the seminary was founded in 1823. We're coming up on the 200th anniversary um, in 2023. And one of the, I should have said this in my preamble about the history and the context for this, but one of the um, impetuses for doing this is the fact that we were coming up on the bicentennial and we wanted to kind of enter into the next 200 years in a different place. 
where there is a fuller picture of the history of the seminary, where these stories and voices that were not included before become part of the, the kind of official story of the seminary. And I think many of the families are, are very impressed with that. It's a powerful model for other institutions and for our country. It's a hot topic right now of how do we tell the full story and how do we tell the full story of our country? Because we're all Americans. We love this country, obviously. Rabbi just became uh, a United Statesian from, from Canada. And uh, Brian, Congratulations. Brian Adams. Yeah, yeah. Brian Adams wrote him a letter of grief because he wants him back. But in the meantime, he's, he's ours. But you know, we have this incredible love for this country. However, it's okay for us to talk about our, our deep wounds that have not healed fully. And because, as you said, Dr. Joe, uh, this is, it's a preamble. It's not just the past. It's not just, okay, that's over. That's a preamble. I mean, the story continues on today and affects us today. So we are going in the second half of the show to talk about just the nuts and bolts of now, how do you do this? And perhaps you who are listening are part of an institution or a group that maybe at some point want to take this on. You know that there is some skeletons in your closet uh, for your institution. How would you approach this? How do you do this? It's delicate work. It's sacred work, especially for any institution, but especially one of, of faith. Um, it is very sacred work. Um, and we know the truth is important. It helps us to grow, to deepen. It hurts. It grieves. But how do you do this knowing that there's no way you can put a financial, a number on this and say, we're all good. Um, but it, 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 it's a start and it helps with the relationship and the building the relationship where God calls us. We, we, we worship a, a relational God. So we're going to take a break to hear about the people who allow this show to happen. And then when we come back, uh, Dr. Joe is going to help us understand how Virginia Theological Seminary has decided to take the steps they have taken and how they're taking those steps currently um, in reparations. This is Father Christian. Next to me is Rabbi Durbin, and we'll be right back here on A Priest and a Rabbi. Hey everyone, it's Evan Nine, producer of A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at yourfavoritechristian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here, and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to A Priest and a Rabbi. Welcome back to the award-winning Priest and a Rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to part two of Priest and a Rabbi. If you're just joining us, we are talking about reparations and specifically a Virginia Theological Seminary that has taken on this journey since the institution itself had used uh, slave labor uh, and then segregated labor afterwards during uh, Jim Crow uh, to build a uh, institution that was lifting up leaders to follow Jesus Christ. Um, and so uh, what better place to do the work? And then how does that work move us forward and also live into this, the biblical truths of of redemption but first 
to get there, you need repentance and uh, uh, there, there, there's confession, and then we can get to a place of uh, renewal and restoration. Um, so we are, we do have uh, Dr. Uh, Joseph Thompson um, from Virginia Theological Seminary, who's um, helped us leading this program um, of reparation. So Dr. Joe, in the first half, we really parsed out just the emotional journey. We talked about just the reason why for the journey. Uh, we hinted at how important it is biblically um, that, uh, God is pretty clear and we can talk about that more in this part as well. Um, but, um, just, let's just talk about how now you have begun this work. How do you, how do you manage this, this, this incredible work? How do you do this with, with the, the delicacy? It's, it's, it's delicate work. It can't just be a project that you just check boxes. Oh, we got that person checked off. Um, I mean, I'm sure you need a genealogist. Like th- this is extensive work, a lot of detail. Cause you don't want to really cut any corners. How have you taken this on? Yeah, that's a great question. And you, you put your finger on it that <laughs> you put your finger on the fact that, um, you know, there, there's a kind of logistical element to this and a research element, but then also the, the, the pastoral and the human element of it. Um, so you're right. We, we have basically two teams of people who are working on the reparations program. We have researchers who are doing, um, you know, the historical investigation. Um, we have, there are two, basically two sides of that. On the one hand, we have someone who is, um, her name is Char Ba, uh, but um, she is working with families, African-American families in the area of the seminary who have been there for generations and who know that they have family members that worked at BTS, at least going back to uh, the era of Jim Crow. And then she helps them to kind of, they, you know, they've been very generous to work with her and to share what they know about their family history and do oral history with her. And then she tries to trace those families back as far as she can go with their connection to BTS. And we found actually um, uh, some interesting examples there of, uh, of people uh, who have ancestors who worked at the seminary as free people um, during slavery, because of course there were, you know, there were all, there were free people, um, not that many, but that that is part of the story of America during slavery as well, and the story of Alexandria. And some of those families actually know, or we've discovered that that some of their ancestors were able to hire out their own labor to the seminary um, at at that time. Then, in addition to that research, we have someone, uh, a, a, a team of researchers who are looking at records of the seminary and looking at public records and just simply trying to find the names of enslaved persons in the antebellum, you know, in the in the you know period uh, before the Civil War, uh, trying to find the names of enslaved persons who would likely have worked at the seminary, and then trace forward as far as they can go to see if they can find living descendants. So that's one big piece of the work of the reparations program. But then we also have the implementation piece and that's what I, you know, I I oversee the whole thing, but um, I tend to work more on implementation with my colleague, Ebony Davis. And we are the ones who then, uh, once families have been identified, we try to make contact with them um, from, as representatives of the seminary, they've already talked to the researchers but um, we try to make contact with them as representatives of the seminary and to talk about what is it that they would like to see happen with this reparations program? How is it that they would like to see their ancestor or ancestors memorialized? How do mm. they want them included in you know, the story of the seminary? 
Uh, we have them, they all are offered the opportunity to come and meet with uh, our Dean and President, uh, the very Reverend Ian Markham, and to, you know, just talk to him, tell him what's on their minds about the history, about their ancestor, about the, the program, the reparations program itself. Um, there, we, we are encouraging the descendants to come to campus anytime they want um, to eat lunch in our uh, refectory when they would like to. Uh, you know, uh, they can have library privileges, um, they can audit a course, um, you know, we have, we, we have a very nice uh, campus uh, in suburban Alexandria, um, and so, um, I mean, it actually is part of Alexandria, but it feels kind of like a suburb, uh, but uh, it's a very, you know, green, you know, campus with lots of trees and nice buildings, and so, and people come and walk their dogs and, you know, run on our campus, so we encourage descendants take advantage of, um, you know, that if they want to. So there's a kind of relationship building that goes on that's really, really uh, an important part of the program. And then, of course, we then talk about um, the financial piece and whether they want to receive that. Uh, If so, what would they like to see happen with it? They can make a decision as to whether or not they want to receive that themselves or do they want to give it to a charity um, you know, do they want to give it to their alma mater, a church, what, what have you, uh, their, their grandchildren or children? It's, it's really kind of up to them how they want to um, receive the funds. So that process you just explained is very relational. The, you, you are, um, you're calling someone, you're talking to them, introducing this idea. I'm assuming just that first call of one say, hi, <laughs> this is, say your name from Virginia Theological Seminary. We've been doing this great work of, you know, whatever that might be. And then invite them to campus and talk to them. They get, to, they get, they meet with Reverend uh, Ian and there's a lot of time together. And I'm sure those conversations can be very rich. Uh, and I'm assuming can be very honest uh, if, if, you know, people can hopefully feel comfortable enough to speak their mind. Um, but what has there been some, what, some stories that have, that have come out of that or, that Reverend Ian have, has referred to of when having a family or someone sharing tears together or just just the emotions that flow from that whole process? Um, uh, I, well, I won't speak specifically from his perspective, but just, you know, from because from, he's done some of that work and I've done some of it, Ebony's done some of it. And I think, um, you know, there have been there have been tears at moments when people, uh, you know, I know Ebony has spoken about uh, family members who were just kind of in disbelief that the seminary was actually doing this and were so moved that their ancestors were now being recognized um, that it did bring them to tears. Um, there has been pushback. There have been people, like I said before, who said, well, this is too little too late. And, you know, you would have to sell the whole seminary and give it to us um, basically to really make up for what happened. Um, There have been, um, there was one individual who, uh, when he met with uh, the dean, was approaching a birthday. Um, He's in his his 70s, um, and um, I think it was maybe his 77th birthday was coming up. And um, he, he, as they were talking and sharing about their family, about, you know, um, and their relationship to the program, he just said, well, is there any way that maybe I could have, when, when it's my birthday, if I could come here with some of my family and just be here and, you know, as a kind of guest of the seminary on my birthday in a way that my ancestor never could have done and never would have been recognized. Yeah. And um, um, 
Dean Markham said, yeah, you know, absolutely. And so we threw a birthday party for him and his, and his family members. Um, so there's, so you're right. It's very relational. Um, that's, you know, by design, that's a, a really key and essential component of this program. Yeah. It, it, the, you know, it's, 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 it's from a Christian perspective and they, the, repentance is such a big piece of our journey that we, we we cannot we can't get to easter until we get to the cross and we have to be so this is all christian talk here but but um we have to repent and we have to be truthful and we have to speak the hard truths in order for us to 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 find the easter day uh and and the vts is is doing that work because they say this is hasn't been acknowledged and so i want to dig again because i think this is important because some people say why what's the point of reparations you know this is this this has become a, a tense topic sometimes when it's come up um especially from our federal for our federal government uh, but the point from just a from from if you look at it um that you have uh <laughs> a couple hundred years there of completely free labor uh, that that built this country, and I can understand the the person who said to uh, Doctor Ian, "You would need to sell this whole institution <laughs> in order," because he's being truthful. I mean, if you're talking monetarily and emotionally, um, we built this institution for free for you. So where's the compensation? Um, but it's so that that could happen, I guess. I mean, you got you guys could do that, or. Um, are there other ways besides just the monetary part? I know there are some other programs around. I've, I've heard, I think, Georgetown. I don't want to misspeak here, but I was looking at a New York Times article that was uh, referring to VTS about other programs that have been through scholarships and through other ways. And VTS is not just doing monetary-wise. Aren't there other ways that, that there's, say, how do we plant seeds for the future to ensure uh, more prominent Black leadership, uh, voices within the church supporting Black leadership? Um, are, are there other ways that this program or, or is the program you're doing specifically just for finding the families acknowledging them uh and then also saying would you like this monetary compensation um that's sort of where we're starting but we really think that this is just a beginning you know and a lot of people ask us about the payments and seem to think that okay you're gonna give payments and then that's kind of you're wiping your hands and you're moving right on and and what does that really do? And what does that mean? And we say, first of all, well, the payments are going to be ongoing. Like these payments are set up for, you know, basically in perpetuity because it's not, since it's not a lot of money, we sort of thought, well, the least we can do is make it something that gets spread out over a long period of time. Um, and so essentially we, we've created a trust with the fund, the, the $1.7 million endowment fund that's a part of our larger endowment. And it, that's gonna sit there and grow as our endowment grows. Uh, and it's gonna continually be throwing off, you know, a yield of some sort. Um, and that's where the program, the, the, the payments are, are sort of being um, funded. But we view that as, that's just, this is just the beginning. This is the start. Um, and so certainly down the line, we could, uh, as, especially as we get to know more families, as more families are brought into the program and brought into the process and have more of a voice in the process, we, they might decide that they want to do something different. They might decide that collectively they would rather focus on, uh, you know, scholarships and grants and things of that nature, as opposed to sort of individual payments. 
um, that that would be entirely up. They can make that choice. We, we, we make agreements with them that we will honor in perpetuity, but all of the agreements that we make with the individuals say that they can come back and make a change to it later. All they have to do is contact us and, we'll, and we can renegotiate that and we can make a change. So they could come back, a group of families could come together and say, you know what, this little bit of money that we're getting individually is not so meaningful to us, but we want to pool and give a big scholarship somewhere or whatever it is that they might want it to. Um, and I think, I think that's something that very well might happen in the future. Uh, as we get more fat, but we're, we're just at the beginning of finding the families and talking to the families and, you know, really bringing people into the program. So I think those kinds of things can, can happen. And we're not in any way opposed to that. Um, we also have another component to the program, which is there are two historically uh, African-American churches that have ties to the seminary, Mead Memorial Episcopal Church and Oakland Baptist Church. Um, and we're, we are, we're now getting into a process of working with them to think about how can we work together as part of this reparations uh, program. And that's, that's even, you know, in an earlier stage than the other part of the program. But um, that might also be a place where some of the more systemic things might be talked about and addressed. Dr. Joe, why do you think the term or the word reparations freaks some people out? Uh or so causes be, tension. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think to be to be very frank, I think that it's not so much the word reparations. I think it's anything having to do with addressing what has been done to the African American community in the United States of America. It the reality of that experience goes against the uh, kind of. Um, narrative and the story that many people want to tell themselves about the country. Uh, you know, I'm, I was born in the United States of America, generation and generation and generation before me and my family on both sides of my family were born here. Uh, I love this country. Uh, this is my home. And at the same time, there are some really horrible things that have been done to the African-American community. Uh, by individuals, but also by institutions and by our own government, of which we are part of the we the people. Uh, but, you know, the, the government that's supposed to be operating in our name has done some horrible things um, that have disadvantaged uh, African American communities and other communities of color. And so I think it's very difficult for people to, to really wrestle with that and deal with that. And so reparations is a kind of a symbol of that. But I think there's a much bigger issue there. Yeah, we at St. Mary's, we we were inspired by Dr. Not Dr. But probably he might be a doctor. I don't know if uh, Reverend Gray Maggiano on Baltimore, the work that they did in looking at the history of his church and finding that they had a history of supporting Jim Crow work. And so how do we um, and I think they had parishioners who um, and maybe a rector's warden who had enslaved uh, people. So how do you deal with the, those truths? And so that has led them into some really powerful work, uh, uh, not just sit there as a whipping post saying, God, we're such horrible people. Um, I mean, repentance 
Americans as part of that, but also to deepen relationships and to start conversations, especially with the black community. But where is God in all this? Where is God in all this mess? And where is redemption and healing in all this? Um, we at St. Mary's try to do that. We're looking through our records to see, you know, we, we're, we, we're in a place that used to be a sundown town um, and uh, in, in, a, in, in a post-segregationist community. There's still a train track that divides the two. Uh, and, and so it, we, we look at it, not that we're trying to be CSI of folks trying to investigate like where's our where's our sin and where's our our skeletons in the closet so we can sit there and be like we're such horrible people um but if there's any work to be done because maybe there's some neighboring churches black churches episcopal churches where there's it's it's pretty divided and was it was there a history there can we start a conversation are there are there wounds that can happen and that's where we find a deeper relationship with god by examining this it's tough work it's challenging work but it, it's it, there's strategy that needs to be used to invite people to the table so people can be like, no, this is important work. And I think as Christians, and I think Rabbi, let me know is if we, the more as Judeo-Christians, we put this in the lens of this is where God is calling us. Um, this is we're faith-based people. Uh, and, and if we could be models of this work. So Joe, I mean, the work that you're doing, sorry, Reverend Joe, <laughs> Dr. Joe, I, I you and I were you. colleagues, it's, it's, you know, so I got to get in my, <laughs> as long as it's my name, what it, my name, it's actually something that applies to me. As long as you're not calling me out of my name, as they say, I'm okay. So just totally <laughs> let you know how humble Dr. Joe is. I went to school with this guy or he, he was getting an MI while I was getting uh, uh, my degree. And uh, I never knew he was a doctor because he's so humble. He's one of the few people who has PhD who won't tell you he has PhD. So uh, <laughs> God bless you. Um, it's, it's interesting even when you look at it biblically, because I think, I think for, you know, the whole understanding, the whole understanding of, of reparations is not only the acknowledgement, but be able to say, I want to do the right thing. There was such challenge and atrocities and, 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 and just greed that now we're being able hundreds of years later to come back and acknowledge that pain and to say, I want to, I want to set the record straight. I want to make amends. I want to set the course for the future so that not only for us, but for subsequent generations, for them to acknowledge the sin and the challenge and how we can try and make things better. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be perfect, but at least we can start that conversation. Yeah, ag agreed. And um, we were talking earlier about ways that scripture addresses this. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind based on what you just said, uh, Rabbi, is, you uh, you know, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it seems to me that um, I would ask people uh, who are not uh, African-American who are thinking about this to try and put themselves in the shoes of the ancestors who had to go through these experiences and who, you know, lived their lives and with dignity as best that they could and resilience as best as they could in a society that was really stacked against them, tried to make a life and, and make a way for their descendants, but try to put yourself in those shoes and, and, and then put yourself in the shoes of the generations that have come after that and live with that, um, you know, those uh, disadvantages of that oppression. And then, and, and think about well, what it would it mean to do unto others in a, in a situation like that? you know, as, as I would have them uh, do unto me. I think that's a really important thing to, to consider. No, that's, Joe, you're right. Because a lot of times the pushback I see uh, for the work of reparations, that from my perspective, it has usually been 
from from white leaders. I haven't seen a lot. I'm sure there is from people of color. I don't know. Um, I, I I don't know not a lot of its work, but usually it's from people who uh, your invitation for us to walk in one another's shoes is such a key part. I mean, anything we do with like the, 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 the walk of empathy is that we can't really, I would never fully understand and know what it's like, but in order to try to, what you, the invitation to put yourself in the shoes. And so what's the right thing to do? How do you approach this? And how do you, how do you, how do you do this? Dr. Joe, there, there might be someone listening who's like, you know what, I, I want to learn more. And I have no idea how to even begin this process. Um, and when I'm hearing it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Um, it takes a discernment. It takes prayer. It, it, it takes digging into the word. Um, what would be your suggestion to someone um, about about how to start to discern this? And then if they want, where can they go maybe to see what VTS is doing to just get some ideas as, as a model? Yeah, so uh, you can go to our website, our, our seminary website, vts.edu. Again, vts for Virginia Theological Seminary.edu. Um, and you can find their information about our reparations program. And we're going to be updating that uh, soon so that um, there'll be some fr- frequently asked questions and, um, you know, a video where we'll be talking about how our program is run. So I think if you want to learn more about our program, that's one way. In terms of thinking about reparations more broadly, uh, I would recommend uh, there's a book uh, by the scholar at Duke, William Darity, and um, and uh, his, his co-author, whose name is escaping me, and I apologize for that. But um, they have a book. You could look that up. Google William Darity, Duke University, his new book, uh, relatively new book, talks about reparations. I think that'd be a great way to start. And we'll put those in the show notes. So if you're just tuning in, uh, this is a podcast as well. So if you're just on 1450 AM here in um, you can uh, always go on and just Google a priest and a rabbi podcast. Uh, look for the title of this latest one, which is uh, um, going to be talking about what, how a seminary approaches uh, reparations. And uh, you, you'll see in the show notes um, what uh, uh, Dr. Joe just, just referred to. Dr. Joe, uh, thank you for, for coming on the show. Uh, just explaining what you're up to and your teams are up to. That's a lot. I'm sure you're super busy plus you're teaching and doing other things at the seminary so we are grateful just to hear about this process um, and there's so much more to dig into but just to open it up for us and my prayer is that it just becomes a template and an inspiration for other institutions whether they're faith-based or not uh, to say oh we we can do this and 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 this is this is going to be very hard work but it's god work and god calls us into this um, because this is the work he calls us to do. Um, so God bless you. May the Holy Spirit continue to guide the work that you're doing. I pray for the fruit to be born um, and, and for uh, some wounds to be healed and for us to grow and to become better at this human being thing <laughs> and following God. It's been, it's been a real pleasure to be with you all this morning. Thank you so much for the opportunity and blessing. All right, my friends, uh, across from me is the better looking guy. That's Rabbi Durbin. But ladies, he is off the market, so there's nothing. Um, come check us out. If you want to come see me in a Midsummer Night's Dream and make fun of me with my black nail polish, you can. Um, I'll be at the Palm Beach Shakespeare Festival uh, this weekend. Rabbi Durbin will be there with his girls, maybe. But we will see you right here next Friday on A Priest and a Rabbi. God bless you. We'll see you. <laughs>